Hello. I'm back, baby. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. <laughs> a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Ann Friedman. And I'm Amina Tuso. Woo! New year, new order. How are you feeling? <laughs> you know, I feel great. The only thing I've achieved today is making a sandwich and going to therapy. So like all in all, great. Those are big achievements. They're, you know, there are many days when many people in the world do not achieve those two things. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Just going to therapy every week is it's life-changing, as they say. On this week's agenda, we discuss red carpet activism and grapple with the prospect of Oprah 2020. Plus, this week in menstruation, free tampons for students in Illinois and California. Are you like out of holiday chill mode or are you still in TV binging mode? Girl, first of all, those two things are not exclusive. In my life. <laughs> so I'm gonna need oh, you sorry. To I really, I really, I was projecting there. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I love that you're like, you know, for us, like other kinds of people, usually when we watch television, it's because there's downtime in the world global order. Um, so I was telling you earlier that I've been like super homesick. And the way that I've been dealing with that is by watching Jack Cousteau documentaries. And honestly, Anne, it's been like very healing. So the documentaries have been great, but um, I'm, I watch Silent World, the movie. To make this film, they roamed deep under the Mediterranean, the Red Sea, and the Indian Ocean in a mysterious realm, the Silent World. It's like a Jacques Cousteau and Louis Malle movie, and it's like, I think it's like 1956, and it's like the first time, like, anybody did serious, like, underwater, like, cinematography. I mean, it's a documentary, but it's kind of terrible. It's like, you can't take humans anywhere. (laughs) I just, like, I remember watching it as a child, and I was like, oh my god, this is great. And then now I'm watching it as an adult, and I'm like, what, why are these people chucking sticks of dynamite in the water? Like, why are they being like such assholes to the local ecosystem? You literally like cannot take humans anywhere. It's like if you get tired of like watching Life Aquatic over and over again, like watch where the real source. <laughs> I two things to say to that. I've been eagerly waiting for Blue Planet 2 to be widely available in America. I think it's happening in a few weeks. Also, while you were talking, I admit I just had to do a Google search for Zach Cousteau Creeper to make sure that there were no skeletons that we left unacknowledged. <laughs> Um, man, that would have been really hard for me because like Jacques Cousteau is definitely like childhood hero. Well, you just, you got to do, this is the Google that we have to do. I know it's the Google that you have to do all the time. But you know what though? I was talking to one of my little cousins recently who, uh, I was trying to explain this, like I was trying to explain Jacques Cousteau to him and he was like, I know, I know. He was like, your generation was raised on Jacques Cousteau. I was raised on Attenborough, so the production <laughs> values are higher. <laughs> the Attenborough <laughs> generation. And I was like, oh, I love my little French cousin so much. He's right. It's like Jacques Cousteau narration is like 10 out of 10, but like David Attenborough production values are unbeatable. 
It's true, but do we really give David Attenborough the credit for those production values? I feel like that win goes to the BBC, I won't lie. Yeah, it also just goes to, like, it's not 1956. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> I'm going to give that win to technology and progress. But, like, you know, poor Jacques Cousteau, he really thought we were, like, going to be living in Waterworld. I was watching all these, like, old interviews with him, and he was, like, telling Time Magazine in the 60s how, like, one day we're going to take a pill so we can live underwater or whatever. And I was like, sir, our phones don't even work correctly. Like, no. I mean, a lot of futurist predictions from the mid-20th century are kind of laughable, both land and sea-wise, you know? Like, the idea that we're going to be on hoverboards and also living underwater. Yeah, my only futurist prediction is that, like, one day we're going to get a tortilla chip that does not break under the weight of the guacamole you need to put on top of it. Wow. Cue the sounds of thousands of listeners furiously emailing you about their favorite chips that withstand withstand a chunky guacamole. Yeah, don't tell me about any of those ones that look like baskets. Like, no thank you. Baskets? You know what 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 I'm talking about? about? How now they have all these chips that look like chip receptacles? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They like, what are those things called? Those things make me so angry. Yeah, like basically if your scoop technique is not already on point. Yes, scoops. They're called (laughs) scoops. Those things. (laughs) Innovations we didn't need. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, just make a battery that works. Let Jacques Cousteau, like people like live under the water. Yeah, Jacques Cousteau was like, we're all living underwater. And someone else is like, we're going to have hoverboards. And in reality, all we have is like (laughs) rampant sexism, racism, and some scoops. (laughs) I know. And like iPhones that don't work. Oh my God. It's so Uh, true. We can't even go down that path. We're just, I'm ending that there. We can't talk about that. Okay. So that's literally what's going on with me. Therapy, Jacques Cousteau, and uh, that's it. Tell me about the news, Anne. What's going on? Well, I did have I did have a moment. I was out at like an event type thing that was running concurrently with the Golden Globes, and someone was like, "Aren't the Golden Globes happening right now?" And, and I, what what event runs at the same time as the Golden Globes? Uh, Jibs Cameron slash Dynasty Handbags Weirdo Night, um, <laughs> which is. <laughs> An unmissable comedic tour de force variety show. If you ever find yourself in Los Angeles, I endorse it. But I was talking to someone there and and they were like, well, and I said, I said something about how I don't mind missing it because it's not my thing to watch in real time. And they were like, well, isn't your podcast going to talk about it? Like, aren't you as if, as if it's somehow impossible to not watch in real time in 2018 and then still see the clips of like everything interesting that happened. I'm like, no, I'm just going right. to see that, see the highlights. Exactly. The internet's mm-hmm. going to curate for me everything that I need to know about this multi-hour award show broadcast. And indeed it uh, did. It did. Also, you know how I hate award shows so much. I think I'm turning into a Republican 100%. My gripe against award shows is that they're bad because it's like going to somebody else's work party. Like, you don't want to be there. It doesn't matter how fun the party is. You're like, this is not my chosen career. Like, I don't need to be here. But this year, they were especially bad because, like, we are expecting celebrities and, like, the idiots who wrangle red carpets to talk about harassment and gender pay gap and whatever. And I literally... I watch the E! Red Carpet show because all I care about are the outfits. I, like, don't watch the actual show. So, like, I knew I wasn't watching the actual show. Also, that shit starts at 8 p.m. Like, I am not staying up that late. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, thank you. But I was watching the Red Carpet show, and I literally yelled at my TV, stick to acting. And I was like, is this how Republicans feel all the time? Like, this is not okay. It's a hard thing for me. The expectation 
that because you are famous for acting or for whatever, directing or doing something like that, that you will also be a great political spokesperson. Like as we have seen time and time again, people want to use their platforms and that's great. And like, honestly, in the modern era, like who has a bigger platform than people who are famous for doing things that have nothing to do with politics? Um, but also, oh my God, like the expectations that were, that were heaved upon the red carpet this year was just like, what do you expect? Like, what do you expect to really happen as a result of a kind of, and at right. the end of the day, a pretty minor visual show of solidarity, which like, I am happy to see that, but also just like, keep, keep your priorities in check about what you think is going to happen as a result. Okay. I mean, keep your priorities in check, but also like, let's go through it. First of all, when I'm king, like we're banning red carpet shows. They're so inherently sexist. There's just like, there's no redeeming them. It's like, people think like, oh, you know, like there's this hashtag that was going around a couple of years ago that was literally like hashtag ask her more. That was like asking actresses about more than who they're wearing. Right. It's then like, who no, takes no. their boobs and airbrush their arms. <sighs> right. Like, <yeah>. It's <laughs> like, yeah, it's like do more than the Manny cam or whatever. Like there is no redeeming red carpet shows. We're literally asking people to go up to a step and repeat and just like we're like judging them by how they look. It's not going to end well. Nobody cares about like what you're there to do. So this year, a couple of actresses like brought activists with them. And on one hand, I was like, wow, it's really cool to see Ai-Jen Poo and Tarana Burke and all these women like walking the red carpet. Wait, but you mean MacArthur t- Genius Ai-Jen Poo brought an actress with her? Amazing. Yes. <laughs> MacArthur Genius Ai-Jen Poo brought, um, I don't know if you know her, Meryl Streep. She's not very famous with her <laughs> as her date. But at the same time, it looked like very weird to see all of these white women with like women of color accessories with them. I was like, I know what you're trying to do and it's very noble, but it's like very fucked up that like bringing up activists. It's like, you know, it just looked like accessorizing. And so like that made me feel a little uneasy. And also clearly like Ryan Seacrest and Juliana Rancic are and like the rest of their colleagues are not equipped to like talk about anything beyond who are you wearing? What color are your nails? Who was more popular in high school? You or Ansel Elgort? Like, they don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> and so... Literally just uh, stating the name of the actor standing in front of yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> like, they just, like, they are not... And sometimes I'm like, you know what? This is exactly who Hollywood deserves to ask them questions or, like, these airheads. But at the same time, it was, like, the, this new movement the women in Hollywood have started, Time's Up, is, like, you know, like on its face, like a really good initiative and it looks great and there's so much support. But at the same time, like seeing people wearing the Time's Up pin who you know for a fact are like either harassers or are people who like aid and abet harassers is like makes you feel a little sick. Yeah. Um, I feel like, it's like I, th- I think about like if Harvey Weinstein hadn't gotten caught, he would be in that room in a tuxedo like wearing a Time's Up pin. You know what oh, I'm saying? Like he would absolutely. be there and he, and he would have given them like a lot of money. So <laughs> I don't know. It's hard because on one hand, when people do good things, we should like reward them. But also... It's very hard to get famous people to do good things in a really transparent and smart way. Like all of the women were supposed to wear black on the red carpet. How, you know, (laughs) and I was like, great, you guys are supposed to look like you're going to a funeral, but make it chic. So it's just like, (laughs) I don't know, the cognitive dissonance of like all of that, you know, and I kept thinking, I was like, you know, maybe the revolutionary thing would be like not to like walk the red carpet or not to go 
to the award show. But at the same time, it's or like, this to is go your in like a black burlap sack without doing a bunch of makeup. Right, which like I'm like, and that's the real time. Handmaids, up. right? You like don't get handmaids. to look at my body in the same way anymore. Like, like totally. I'm just gonna, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. But at the same time, you know, it's like I also have to check my own impulse, where I'm like, actually, like this is your job, and this is how you make money, and this is how you support your family, and this is what you like to do. And you shouldn't not enjoy that because, like, there are assholes who work with you. And also, like, characteristically, only the women were expected to have done things and know things. Like, all of the men were wearing pins, the Time's Up pin. But (laughs) the red carpet people never asked them what the pin was for. It was just, like, this understood. It's like, yes, like, ending harassment is women's labor. Like, have you heard? Yeah, and, and I think that that goes to, like, part of my feeling about it, which I, I really would love for there to be some kind of gatekeeper sometimes for things like this, where it's like, okay, actually there is a body, like the organizing body of this movement, when it's something concrete like this, when it's, like, clearly something that people in a specific industry are doing. Like, the people who are leading that effort get to decide who gets to publicly rep it. I mean, this is different than, like, something like feminism or, like, you know, anti-racist work that's a broader ideological. Like, this is a very specific movement that in all the statements they've made has specific aims. And so I'm like, okay, what if the people in that room had said, if you wear this pin, these are the things that you agree to do. And if you want to wear this pin, come get it from us. And that's way, like, James Franco doesn't have a pin on (laughs) if you, like, do not endorse, like, sliding into very young women's DMs frequently. Like, that way, actors who have worked with Woody Allen, like, don't get to wear a pin if you don't. And there's, like, a thing about that where I'm like, I don't think that all movements need to be policed like that. But I do think that in a scenario like this, when like presumably part of the goal is having people speak eloquently about like this issue and about what needs to happen, it's totally acceptable to say like we're only allowing people who share our specific values to rep this specific effort within a movement. I know. It's so weird to watch, like, all these actors that have worked with Woody Allen, you know, like Greta Gerwig and Justin Timberlake and, like, so many of them not be able to defend that choice personally but want to be part of the bandwagon of ending harassment, which, like, I like I believe that they're sincere about. But nobody ever wants to interrogate, like, personal beliefs. It makes it really hard, you know? And right before the award show, Dylan Farrow um, was was tweeting and reading her tweets were like, it was really hard to take. And I was like, here is a person actually that is like incredibly graceful and gracious and and really kind in the face of people like telling her that they don't believe her story. Right, completely. And, and, and also like, you know, it's always there. I mean, I think that like, you know, that's one of those things that I am always thinking about Dylan Farrow, when I watch these actors squirm and kind of half answer questions about their involvement with him, did you happen to read the Washington Post story about Woody Allen's archive? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Tell the people. Ugh. So the journalist Richard Morgan read all of the boxes, 57 years worth of 56 boxes. Wow, that's confusing. Um, in, in the Woody Allen archive, which is at Princeton. Apparently, according to the article, no one has ever sat down and like read through everything in its totality. But basically, like, it just shows a pattern of him sexualizing teen girls, like a lot of drafts of stories that say originally had 
a super sexualized teen protagonist, maybe written up to like age 18 at the time it was published. And and just this idea too that like, I think we've seen this with a lot of men who have been brought up on charges of like being a creep and way, way worse recently is that the behavior is kind of out in public. Like, you know, looking at all of his art, it's not like, oh, weird, we didn't see it coming. Like no one could have guessed. It's actually... 100% baked into everything that he's produced. Right. It's like the, the signs have been there all along. I think also in this in the case of Woody Allen in particular, it's perceived as complicated because it is like a family matter. Like I think a lot of a lot of the the half-assed responses I've seen have framed it as sort of like some kind of like, you know, like the way he spun it as like a divorce drama with Mia Farrow or like, you know, the idea of it being kind of like a private fight that they shouldn't get involved in. Whereas some of these other men who have been accused of bad behavior and like, you know, identified as, as doing terrible things have done it in the context of work. And so, you know, I've seen some people try to write it off for that reason. And like, for me, I'm like, this is even like, this is like, this is just as bad. Like it's horrible in a different way. It's awful, you know? And it's like, and, and it honestly just like makes you wish that somebody would be like, actually like, I'm very aesthetically aligned with Woody Allen. I think it would benefit my career to do this movie. And I don't give a shit about survivors of sexual assault. And that's why I'm doing this movie. Like, I would find that so much more refreshing and easier to deal with than people who purport to care, but refuse to examine their own behavior, you know? And to be clear, like, there are always situations that, like, all of us get into that are like that. But it's... You like, I think that your point about like, you know, thinking about Dylan Farrow a lot is like really important because she has like told her story consistently for years at like great cost. And she does, she does it again, like in this way that it makes you feel so ashamed (laughs) to not be, to not be on the right side of the story with her, you know? Yeah. And it's just so fucked up that we live in a world where you can be like, hi, like show up at the like, work award show and say that you care about like women's issues. And then like, here is one woman who is literally asking you to believe her and telling you her story. And you're like, sorry, don't care. Yeah. And I, I, I think also about Ellen Page's statement about having deeply regretted working with him, which Dylan Farrow has cited as something that like she was happy to see, you know, like not someone, she, you know, you don't need to disavow your entire career to say, I'm sorry. And I wish I'd made a different choice. So in the time since Amina and Anne recorded this episode, the actress Mir Sorvino published an open letter to Dylan Farrow in the Huffington Post condemning Woody Allen and that grapples with the kind of double thinking that allowed her to work with Woody Allen as a young actress. And this is her attempt to own up to both her past actions and her belief in Dylan and solidarity going forward. I am so sorry, Dylan. I cannot begin to imagine how you've felt all these years as you watched someone you called out as having hurt you as a child, a vulnerable little girl in his care, be lauded again and again, including by me and countless others in Hollywood who praised him and ignored you. As a mother and a woman, this breaks my heart for you. I am so, so sorry. We are in a day and age when everything must be reexamined. This kind of abuse cannot be allowed to continue. If this means tearing down all the old gods, so be it. The cognitive dissonance, the denial and cowardice that spare us painful truths and prevent us from acting in defense of innocent victims while allowing 
quote, beloved individuals to continue their heinous behavior must be jettisoned from the bottom of our souls. Even if you love someone, if you learn they may have committed these despicable acts, they must be exposed and condemned, and this exposure must have consequences. I will never work with him again. I'm sorry that it has taken me a few weeks to come out in support of you, since a conversation she had with Ronan Farrow, Dylan's brother, but it has been a process for me to own this truth and make this irrevocable break. I send you love and inclusion and admiration for your courage all this time. I believe you. I'm grateful to you and admire your integrity and bravery. One woman who has had to stand virtually alone all these years, speaking her painful truth. You are a true hero and I stand with you. In gratitude and solidarity, Mira Sorvino. And I think that like one thing I've been thinking about is how how many of these stars who continue to work with him don't need him anymore. You know, like that's the other thing. It's like I right. I, it's like I, when yeah. has a Woody Allen movie like made somebody's career in the last like I don't know like twenty years? Well, and I think that there are also stars who use it who are continuing to use it as like a way to go from being lesser known or in like kind of a pop realm to being like Hollywood respected or something like that. Like, you know, and I don't, I don't mean to like, I don't think that that's the right choice either, even for them. But I do think that, as you say, it's understandable to say like, look, I wanted to do this because everyone who was advising me and all these people who were invested in my career said I had to. But at this point, it's like, there's no, the majority of people who have remained silent about him, it's like, like Kate Winslet doesn't need Woody Allen. (laughs) You know, like she doesn't lose anything right. by saying Kate Blanchett she doesn't need yeah. Woody Allen. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, none of them. Yeah, none of them do. It's just very disappointing. It's like remembering whatever that award show was a couple of years ago when Meryl Streep was like on her feet, like clapping for Roman Polanski. Uh huh. You know, and and the many times that she's like called him a genius or whatever. It's like I think about that so much, and I'm just. There are ways that you can support the, like, terrible people in your life without making these public displays that make everybody else feel like shit. And it's so fascinating and depressing to see how famous people, like, do not seem to understand that. I I really do vacillate, though, between thinking, like... And this this kind of goes back to a deeper argument about, like, celebrity feminism or whatever in general of, like, is it useful on a really, really low level of, like, encouraging some people who have not engaged with this to, like, have a conversation for the first time or, like, to understand who the Domestic Workers Alliance are and who Ai-jen Poo is? Like, is that, does that, does that greater benefit outweigh the kind of, like, you know, the meaningless posturing that is people who protect Woody Allen wearing this pin and, you know. I'm going to say something really shitty, but I think that celebrity feminism is just posturing. Like, I cannot think of one example that a thing that celebrity feminism has made better that wasn't already either, like, was not independently, like, getting there in the mainstream or um, wasn't, like, bolstered by a different kind of media. I just, like, literally cannot think of, like, one thing that celebrity feminism has done. I come down on it a little differently, which is that I do think that a pipeline is important of like from from like a super mainstream, I'm not engaged at all with issues of equality to like I'm actually working actively to change the status quo. But I think I guess like what I'm saying is that like I think that that pipeline is only for famous women. I don't believe that anybody who is not famous looks at a famous woman and goes, hmm, it's cool to be a feminist now and then decides to do it. 
that's an argument that's like really hard for me I, to yeah see and I don't why. think that happens either singularly but I actually do think that the very fact that celebrities are basically bandwagon creatures you know like once something is safe and kind of like starting to become more of a norm that's when they get on board like that does have an effect of saying like I do think about sometimes like when I was a teenager if if it was like 100% normalized to use a term like feminism and to think about the political implications of your actions or at least pretend like you're going to, right? Like baby steps, first steps. That maybe I would have been quicker to adopt that term and to like, you know, live in a way that was more feminist like earlier on or something. Like I really don't like, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't. I think you watch just enough Murphy Brown that you were a feminist. Listen, but like what if Murphy Brown, <laughs> anyway, okay, whatever. We cannot go down my like special tender Murphy Brown rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, like, listen, I obviously think that it's very important that women in Hollywood identify as feminist and like know how to say that for professional reasons. But I think that like when you think about the activism that famous women do, after Jane Fonda, I just honestly cannot think of like one of them that has had an impact. And that's not a, like, I know that it sounds really uncharitable and like a shitty thing to say, but it's like, it's not, it's like your industry, like writ large does not really embrace equality and doesn't really embrace like people being like independent thinkers and whatever. So a lot of people are like shy about talking about their politics. So like, you know, you just get this like cocktail of people who are don't really want to tell you like what they're thinking. But at the same time, I'm just like for all of the money that they have, it's like, let's look at the like Time's Up initiative specifically. If you look at the breakdown of how the donations happen, it's really fascinating because it's like some of the big agencies get like give a million dollars each or like $2 million. And then you have these like individual celebrities who are giving donations as small as like $500 and $1,000, <laughs> which like whatever, like how you handle your giving is your own. That's problem. like the equivalent you of know, me but, buying an extra latte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I give more than $1,000 in like charitable contributions like every year. Hold on. Let me pull up this, my investigative document, right? I here. thought you were going to pull up your own like, investing receipts. <laughs> Because I'm going to name some names, you know? It's like Michelle Williams, $500. And I'm like, Michelle Williams, you were in a Roman Polanski movie. Mm -hmm. Jude Law, $500. You know, like... Reparations are much higher than that. You're in a Woody Woody Allen movie. Greta Gerwig, $3,000. Come on, girl. Rebecca Hall, $1,000. Aziz Ansari, $5,000. Amy Poehler, $10,000. You know, like Andy Samberg, Joanna Newsom, $10,000. I'm like, you guys are a couple. You could give more money than that. Slash also, you gave Mike Tyson, convicted rapist, a like uh, role in your thing. Charity is charity. Like, thank you for giving your money. But at the same time, it's just like, are you serious? Well, is this what we're talking about here? So, you know, so like for me, it's a confluence of like, you don't really put your money where your mouth is. You were like somehow like too witless to like talk about like something that matters with any kind of nuance. There's just no benefit of the doubt there where I'm like, "Mm, I just like don't see it. I just I think that like one thing that really rich people can do if they don't know how to talk about issues is like give money. And when they're like giving paltry sums of money, it's like, well, I don't know that you're having any kind of impact. Yeah. And then I think that 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 like goes back to what does it mean to affiliate with this movement? What is the threshold? Because part of me is like, if it's a celebrity led movement, you're right. The minimum buy-in is a lot higher than $500. Like, you know, trying to set, like, there are lots of movements to join as a civilian who is not a multimillionaire who wants to 
indicate like which side of this issue that they are on. It's like if this is specifically about mobilizing Hollywood, you need to have some different criteria, like set the criteria. It's just like, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. What are you going to do? I mean, I don't know. And all all of that said, it's like, it's really, I will be really curious, um, you know, like, let's not forget that like last year, the issue was like, it was like the year of Oscars so white, right? <laughs> like, yeah, well, love yeah, how we, we already <laughs> fixed race. We already fixed race. So now we're fixing harassment. Okay. Like, exactly. Focus. Exactly. That is exactly my point. Right. Like, so uh, I was like waiting for the one person to be on the red carpet and be like, yeah, Oscar's so white, Golden Globe's so white. Like, how do we deal with this? Like in the midst of like ever an off trend. I'm like, you could have gotten some good publicity for another worthy issue. I know it's crazy. It's like, um, I, I watched Sterling K. Brown's speech for winning. I guess he won like best actor in a drama mm-hmm. and uh, for This Is Us. And one, I love Sterling K. Brown. But two, it's 2018. People are still winning first black something in the something category. Oh my God. Like that, it was crazy to me. And I was like, are we still doing this? Are we still? I just like couldn't believe it. I was like, man, this like the game is so dirty. I know. Yeah. I mean, what to say besides the game is so dirty. And also I was still happy to see Tarana Burke and I Jen Poo. Like, you know, like, what are you going to do? Those two things are both true. It's true because the game is dirty. (laughs) (laughs) That's just how it works. game is dirty (laughs) one like highlight of the golden globes was like oprah giving a speech oprah was also the first black woman to win the uh the award that she won cecil b demille yeah i'm like i don't know how to say cecil b demille's name so thank you or maybe it's cecil not cecil whatever (laughs) cecil i'm pretty sure it's cecil um (laughs) not cecile But yeah, so it's like, you know, Oprah, first black woman to win this award. Also, like, Oprah, like, have you people heard Oprah give a speech before? Like, Oprah can give a speech about a sandwich and it will give you chills. I'd like to thank the Hollywood Foreign Press Association because we all know that the press is under siege these days. But we also know that it is the insatiable dedication to uncovering the absolute truth that keeps us from turning a blind eye to corruption and to injustice. (laughs) To to tyrants and victims and secrets and lies. 
I want to say that I value the press more than ever before as we try to navigate these complicated times, which brings me to this. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. So, you know, like Oprah's doing that, but she's also doing like presidential candidate cosplay at the same time. So everybody is confused. Award season is the only time that the politics people like pay attention to Hollywood, you Mm -hmm. know? So they hear like one person give a good speech and they're like, is she running? And this impulse that we have in this country that if somebody is like gives good oratory that they should run for president really disturbs me. Like, I don't understand why America is like this. It's just like, did you hear the 10-minute speech this person gave? Oh, my God, we should put them in charge of drone strikes. Um, That's not how it works. No, you know what it is? We are so desperate, though, for anyone that even remotely seems like they could be a stable genius. It's like, you know, like the things that you will eat when you're hungry and like just can't bring yourself to make a real meal versus like the meal you concoct when you're like thinking like correctly. (laughs) Like this is just like anything looks good next to what we've got. And that's not to downplay Oprah because obviously like Oprah looks good next to just about anyone. But I know. And also like, you know, Oprah, like an actual rich person who like went from zero to a billion, you know, like has real money, not like monopoly money, you know, like been in charge of a real organization, turning a profit, like an actual media genius, interviews people, you know, we stand a queen. It's real. Mm -hmm. And the speech was amazing. It was like really insane to hear her talk about like her own trajectory, like going from being really poor to like being Oprah and like getting awards in front of Hollywood people. And you know, like I love Oprah like a mother, but also like Oprah cannot be our president. Like that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, honestly, that's one of those for things ma- for many reasons. Yeah. I mean, it, so I, uh, in early like spring 2017, I forget if we've discussed this. I went to super soul sessions live highlight of the year for me. <laughs> Where I joined many other white women in playing djembes. Um, but uh, but Oprah, so so like when like in her opening remarks, and she was like, you know, we were all still in in like post-election shock mode, I think. She was trying to like, again, like not not exactly like her awards acceptance speech, but like say some things that like felt deep and meaningful and acknowledging the kind of panic and pain that everyone was feeling. And after she finished, someone in the back was like, Oprah for president, like screamed it. Like, you know, this is the thing. Do you think that's also because like white women love it when black women save them? Because I think there's an element of that going on. Oh, for sure. I mean, to be fair, I do not know the race of the person who shouted this from the back of the room, but demographics of the audience. I'm going to venture. I'm going to (laughs) venture and be right in my guess. Yeah. I mean, part of me is just like, this is a conversation I'm happy to have when Oprah is like, I am interested in running for president, right? Like, like this is a conversation I don't want to have when it's like just Oprah gave a great speech. It's one of those things where I'm like, you're right. Like, there's definitely some savior complex going on. There's definitely some like, ooh, like, wouldn't it look great? We could have our own celebrity. Like, you know, like kind of like worst impulses. Not like, shouldn't this party be led by a woman who demographically matched the people who always carry it in elections? Like, I know. I like don't think I can handle another like celebrity president. But if we're going to say that like TV people can be presidents, the only person who's qualified is Jerry Springer because he was mayor of Cincinnati. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> that's it. Everybody else, like, show me your homework. You know, but it's also the kind of thing where, like, people are crazy. First of all, why would Oprah run for president? She already has all the perks of being president, and she doesn't have to do any of the bullshit. Second of all, like, people don't realize, it's like, if you want to ruin your hero, like, ask them to run for president. We love Oprah, but, like, this is the woman who gave us, like, Dr. Phil, <laughs> Dr. Oz, Weight Watchers rep, like, yeah. Yeah, like, one of the worst, like, neoliberal capitalist thinkers. Like, come on, people. You know what I mean? It's like, here's the game that we're all playing. Like, focus. Like, focus. Yeah. Mm -mm. It's true. And it's like, I've thought about this actually a lot in the context of Hillary and, like, how she polled historically so much higher when she wasn't actually in the running for anything. And I obviously think for a big part of the population, that is just being afraid of a woman in power. But I also think that like, it's kind of true of anyone of it's a lot easier to idealize them when they are not in the running to lead the country. And it's like, you're right. It would happen so quickly. In fact, already has like, you know, that photo of her kissing Harvey Weinstein on the cheek has circulated widely that like, as soon as you mention the name Oprah and like president in the same breath, approval starts to tank, you know, because then you get real, then you get real about someone. It's true, you know, but at the same time, I watch the Oprah Winfrey show pretty much like every single episode. And I remember that incredible episode arc where she was down in Amarillo because those like Texas cattle farmers, they try to pin uh, mad cow hysteria on her. They were like, people aren't buying meat. Important court case. (laughs) Right. They're like, it's because of Oprah. And Oprah's like, nah. So she like took the whole show down there. That's actually how we got Dr. Phil was like that episode arc. Mm. Oprah like wiped the floor with those stupid cattle ranchers. And, you know, and she was like free speech for everybody. And so like, do I think that like Oprah could be president and win 100%? Do I want to be, do I want Oprah to be president? Like, no, thank you. Yeah. It's not even the midterm yet. And we're already talking about the next presidential election. It's like... Oh, it's so irritating. Yeah. But also, like, I feel like part of it, too, is, like, New Year. Everyone wants to have hope. There's even, like, like, like <laughs> liquor billboards around my house that are, like, yeah, it's just another tequila the way 2020 is just another election or some shit like that. Where I'm, like, <laughs> what? yeah, exactly. Like, like, thankfully, I cannot remember this brand because I do not want to advertise for them for free. But also, ugh, it's just tapping into this feeling we all have of, like, can't we just be past it already? And it's, like, sorry, we have several more years of this bullshit yeah like a lifetime's worth of just like terrible things but you know one really funny thing that happened is (laughs) once Ivanka checked her DVR she watched the Oprah speech and then she tweeted about it (laughs) (laughs) and she was like hashtag time's up and we're all like are you talking about your dad again like what is going on here I don't like sometimes I don't know if she's like incredibly smart Or, like, the lights are on, nobody's home. I mean, also, part of me is, like, maybe she recognizes what we all do, which is that this is kind of a toothless movement, like, you know, at this point in time. And it's totally safe to say that and identify with it and, like, know that your dad will not be removed from office because he's a sexual assaulter. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's just, yeah, I'm telling you, it's either, like, dastardly genius or... The lights are on. Nobody's home. There's no middle ground. Um, can I can I say one other thing about the Oprah speech though, which is just like I just Tell loved me. her thank you to Gail. 
<laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Gail, who's been the definition of what a friend is, and Stedman, who's been my rock. Just a few to name. Uh, you, and, you and the friend thing. Tell no, me. I don't know. I mean, it's just like, like, obviously, Stedman, love when she calls him Honeygram on her Instagram. But like, also just... And can you believe Stedman was not weekend at Burning this whole time? It's like the edibles wore off and he was like a live human being. <laughs> That's why Honeygram is so funny, like an inanimate, like uh, like <laughs> a sweet but inanimate partner. She definitely got top billing before Stedman. <laughs> uh, it was so great. Also, all of the Instagram stories of her and Gail getting oh. ready to go to the Globes were amazing. When she told Gail that her elbows were ashy and she called her Ash Wednesday. <laughs> like black woman pain, like you can't even understand. But I like, I love, I love those two so much. I know. And nobody does, this is like, I know this is a totally superficial note, but like formal wear plus glasses, they both are iconic for like the dress up like glasses look. I can't. I can't endorse enough. I know. Oprah's like eyeglass game is strong. I know. It's like very, it's very strong. Total babe. Total babe. Ugh, Oprah Winfrey. The best. What? Like, I know. I'm so happy we live in the same time in history as her. Like, I Oh, God. Isn't it the truth? It's it's the best. I just like, I don't know how I would have done like reading Tumblr posts about Oprah. I'm like, I'm glad I get to experience it. Uh, and last note about Oprah is um, you, if you have not listened to it already, you should go back and uh, listen to the episode that She's All Fat did for us. We'll link to it in the show notes where they talk about Oprah and dieting and body stuff, including her 1988 Wagon of Fat episode. Iconic um, episode. Iconic, but they, they have like a really amazing discussion of like other aspects of the complicated woman that is Oprah. <laughs> If Oprah is president, we are all going to be pushing our wagons of fat like every day. <laughs> On the first day of the Oprah presidency, you get a wagon. And you're just going to have to dump your fat in there. Also, she's going to make all of us work on harvest day. I was just going to say, that means we all have to toil in Oprah's fields <laughs> from Montecito Garden. Oh, my yeah. God. You know how I feel about Oprah's agricultural fraud. Oh, my God. Listen, I mean, like, truthfully, how is it different than me going to the store? Oprah pays people to grow vegetables for her. I pay people to grow vegetables for me. Yeah, but Anne, <laughs> you don't go to Whole Foods and come back with, like, four turnips and go, look at what I grew in my garden today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, for all of this talk, I've already made up half of the Oprah cabinet in my mind. So it's cool. Oh, my God. Who else? Who's in the Oprah cabinet? <laughs> oh, my God. Iyanla is going to be Surgeon General. Uh, <laughs> no, I want to die already just thinking about um, this. Gail is her. Yanla fix my health care. Oh yeah, Gail is her Steve Bannon. Doctor Phil is going to uh, commerce because he dresses like a clown, and that's where we put all of our bad dressers. Um, Doctor Oz is obviously going to HHS, and we're all going to die. Oh um, my god! Listen, it's like it's all crazy. Oprah's gardener is going to be Secretary of Agriculture. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Which honestly, probably the most deserving role among all I of those. Know. I'm telling you, the one thing we won't fuck up is like that. Yep. Oh my Ugh. gosh. What a mess. What a <laughs> mess. I hear you have some This Week in Menstruation for me. 
Okay, a listener emailed us to hip us to the fact that California and Illinois school districts are now required to provide free tampons and sanitary pads in restrooms. Yes! Um, I know. And like, that's one of those, you know, it's one of these like, oh, kind of a little thing, but like not a little thing if you are like going to school in one of those places and like don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. Um, I know. That's great. That actually, um, that's like the best news I've heard all week. Yeah, and it also, especially because efforts to make um, menstrual hygiene products tax-free in a lot of places, like, have have stalled or have not really gone very far. And so this is one of those things where I'm like, oh, great, let's skip the tax-free and just go to free-free. Like, I'm totally fine with that, too. <laughs> Send <laughs> Ann Friedman to commerce. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, let's, also, let's skip tax-free and make it free-free is your, <laughs> like, that's your tagline for when you run for office. I'm running. Oprah, put me in the cabinet. Um, in Here in California, this is like another amazing detail. Assembly member Christina Garcia, who is the person who proposed the legislation to remove the tampon tax and is the person who was instrumental in getting this whole free menstrual products thing in schools, is known as the, quote, tampon queen now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Shout out to lady legislators who do like great work. And yeah, and like at the state level and just like keep keep going, right? Like, I mean, this is one of those things where we just sort of stopped hearing about these state level bills in part, I think, because a lot of them were introduced as a way of signaling like, hello, this is how little you're doing for your constituents that menstruate. Um, but like, you know, I don't know, the best silver lining. So thanks, listener, for sending us this link and... Shout out to everyone in schools in Illinois and California who now gets to enjoy this. Stay in school, kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been dying to say that my whole life. <laughs> okay, and I'm going to go finish watching um, these Jack Cousteau documentaries because that's my life now. Amazing. I am going to go eat lunch. <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. See you on the internet and talk very soon. See you on the internet. <laughs>